0: Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm gonna walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources to remind you you're not alone. In this episode, number 232, I'm chatting with Enneagram master, Suzanne
1: Stabile. The Enneagram is about how you see, and you can never change how you see. Mm. All you can do is change what you do with how you see. And I think we expect other women to be more like us than they are. And I think we struggle to accommodate difference because when we're tired, insecure, over committed, then we settle for sameness. And where we don't experience sameness, we tend to disassociate with what isn't us or like us. And I don't think sameness makes much of anything better. It certainly doesn't create better community, but it's difficult to create a community of moms like you're doing unless there is recognition that there's not one right way to do things. There's not one method to follow. There's not one way of being a mom. There's not one pattern.
0: If you're listening to this episode and you're like, what is Heather talking about, Enneagram? How do you even spell that? No worries. I don't want to add to your confusion. Just go to Don'tMomAlone.com. You can find under the links a couple of resources to give you some basic understanding of the Enneagram. One is a book written by Suzanne. It's called The Road Back to You. The other is her MP3, Know Your Number. Both, if you're listening before the end of February 2019, are available at an extreme discount. The coupon codes are listed there in the show notes, and it'll help you get a further understanding of your type and how you see the world and learn more about the people around you. Because my goal in this episode is to bring unity and grace to our relationships with other moms, in our families, with our kids, and it is not to bring confusion and division. I know some of you have reached out to me with concerns about bringing up the Enneagram, and I get that. There are some scary uh, words associated with it, People talk about its roots in mysticism and, and occult, and I want to put Enneagram in its proper place. I see it as a tool. It has been super helpful in my relationships, and it does not trump God's word or my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I still believe that God is our Father and our Creator, that He sent Jesus to save us from our sins, that we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to point us back to Jesus and to draw us to further becoming like Christ. In that, God has made us so unique, and it's beautiful when we can gain a deeper understanding of that variety. I also heard Jen Jet, You've heard her on the show before. Go back and listen to that episode. It's amazing. She was teaching on Enneagram at work, and she pointed out to us that each type reflects a different part of God's character. And I just love that that variety, when we come together as the body of Christ, just reveals a depth of who God is, because we know we were made in His image. So I I just love how that points back to Him. And I can share at the end of the episode, each type and what each type reflects in God. Most importantly, I love how this has helped me with my kids, because parenting is no joke. And although I want a formula, and I want a one way to do it, like Suzanne mentioned in that little clip... I know that it's a leaning on him and trusting him with the kids that he has given me because he knows how I'm wired and that ultimately they're his kids. And so I want to help you as best I can to reduce the stress and the division in your home. Another way that I'm thrilled to get to help you out with that goal is to point you to one of my favorite parenting resources. If you haven't heard of Connected Families, well, let me tell you about something that's launching on February 4th. It's their Discipline That Connects course. If you are looking for guidelines on how to stay connected with your kids while still shaping their character and their behavior to glorify God and to teach them responsibility, You have to check out Discipline That Connects. I love that it is not a formula. It is more guidelines based on biblical truth that helps you take care of your own business and then helps shape your connection with your kids and ultimately their responsibility for their behavior. It's awesome. Go check it out at connectedfamilies.org. Go look for the Discipline That Connects course. And because you're a Don't Mom Alone listener, you're gonna get 20% off if you use the coupon code Don't Mom Alone. When you sign up, make sure you let me know and I'll add you to our private Facebook group that's gonna keep each other accountable through February and March. So we can work through these eight sessions while they're moderated online. Uh, you have access to them forever. But I know that when we have uh, an accountability, we stick to something that we know we need and it'll help us apply these principles to our discipline in the moment, which I think is so valuable. Go check it out, connectedfamilies.org, Discipline That Connects course, use that coupon code Don't Mom alone to get 20% off. All right, let's get to my chat with Suzanne. Here we go. Suzanne, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you. I love the idea of not momming alone. Well, you know, I've tried it. <laughs> yeah. The irony of being a four and oh having my. that message. yeah. yeah. It's my natural impulse is to isolate. Yeah. So it is hard for me, but I see the value in coming together.
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard for all of us. Mm. I'm not sure that we feel any more judgment spoken and not spoken in life than we do as parents and particularly as moms. Mm. Okay. I'm so excited
0: to talk about all the things. But before we jump into... Enneagram and motherhood. I would love for you to encourage the mom listening who may have a similar story to your own. Uh, I know that you have four children and they're all grown. And tell us a little bit about your family story.
1: I got married in the 60s. And that was a a very unusual time looking back. I, I think only looking back do we understand how poorly prepared we were for anything like all that happened in the 60s. And sadly, I married the wrong person, as did he. Um, I'm an adopted child, so I really wanted children. So we had three children and then divorced. And as a single mom, I enlisted help. I taught in a Catholic high school, and so there were nuns around. And I just kind of created a community around me and mine so that I could make life work and take care of them. And then my husband is a former Roman Catholic priest. We've been married for 31 years, but he left the priesthood at 40. And honestly, I don't know how to say it other than exactly like a knight in shining armor, he came in and just wrapped up all of us. He adopted all three children, and we had a fourth. And I know that that's a magical story that doesn't happen for everybody, which maybe is the reason I feel like, Giving back is mine to do because it's magical. Mm. After all these years of marriage, I'm still deeply, deeply in love with him. Can't be with him enough. Can't tell him enough how much I love him. And we're thrilled that our adult children all live here. We didn't expect that. And they all have come back here and live in the area. And our nine grandchildren are here. And in all that mix, I also had two foster kids along the way. So I've parented a lot. And learned a lot. Yep. Failed a lot. Yeah. Failed at parenting maybe, but I haven't failed at loving. Hmm. I certainly didn't do it perfectly all the way, but all of my children would tell you that I love them without exception, unendingly and unconditionally. And maybe that at my age, you know, my kids range in age now from 31 to 41. So at my age, to be able to say that and have all my kids here, I think they would say they felt that. So, in
0: all that, and for the gal listening who doesn't know what your Enneagram number is,
1: you are. I'm an Enneagram too. And I kind of think it's a really good number for mothering. Yeah. Yeah. But the other eight have different challenges than the one I have. My challenge is about overcaring and overdoing and overing. And I'm not sure that that's less challenging than other numbers. But twos by nature are very nurturing and a big thing about twos is that the best of us is that we read other people's feelings the worst of us is we don't read our own yeah so self-care for a mom who's a two is a huge challenge does it just seem like a foreign idea (laughs) yeah and it doesn't feel um, appropriate or even necessary most of the time so, when I
0: see a mom that I know that's a two, uh-huh. and I think she's a great mom. Yep. She is so loving, so nurturing, so amazing. And maybe I'm the mom who feels more alive outside the home. Yeah. And it doesn't feed me. And so I feel that sense of failure. Yeah. And my goal in this conversation, and I know it's one of your goals, is unity. Sure. Is bringing us together. Um, relationships are so complex, and the enemy just wants to divide us. There are circumstances that cause distrust the cornice of who we are and those differences to give a neutral language that allows us to interact is so helpful.
1: Yeah. And you know, I have a lot to say in response to that. So let me just start with threes and sevens and eights are aggressive numbers on the Enneagram. Three, sevens, eights. Uh Uh-huh. And those numbers are either thinking or doing dominant and feeling is, um, something they have to work on. Hmm. So they think and do or do and think. And Their challenge in Enneagram Wisdom is to bring up feelings, but they don't even know that that's necessary because they love their children and they're trying really hard to do the right things for them. I've just finished a one-year cohort program that had uh, some exceptional women who were very honest about having babies and staying home with them and missing work and feeling ineffective, and feeling like they're giving up a part of themselves that they don't know how to let go of. And I think one of the worst things that happened in my generation, and I I don't know if I've said that I'm 68, but one of the worst things that's happened in my generation is that we divided along lines of stay-at-home moms and working moms. Yeah, And that was a new thing for my generation for the most part,
0: To have the choice.
1: Yes. So when we divided along those lines, we defensively negated the opposite. Mm. And I don't think that was ever offensive. I don't think we meant to. Attack the other. No, certainly not. But what we were trying to do was defend the place that we stood. Your choice. I chose
0: this. Yeah. So I'm not wrong in choosing that.
1: Or I feel like this is what I'm supposed to choose in my own discernment of my own way of being in the world. So part of what we misunderstand about the Enneagram is a lack of a very important line, which is the Enneagram is about how you see and you can never change how you see. Mm. All you can do is change what you do with how you see. Mm. And I think we expect other women to be more like us than they are. And I think we, struggle to accommodate difference because when we're tired, insecure, overcommitted, then we settle for sameness. And where we don't experience sameness, we tend to kind of disassociate with what isn't us or like us. Hmm. And I don't think sameness makes much of anything better. It certainly doesn't create better community. But it's difficult to create a community of moms like you're doing unless there is recognition that there's not one right way to do things. There's not one method to follow. There's not one way of being a mom. There's not one pattern. And there's this best. one
0: perfect mom we have in our head.
1: Yeah. And she's literally all nine
0: types and in merged into one person. And we, that's an impossibility. And we know it logically. Sure. But in that moment, like you said, I think that was so helpful to think when we're stressed or overwhelmed or over, we want somehow to cope with that by saying it all needs to be the same. And Instagram's telling me the formula and I'm not lining up with it and I failed or I'm going to attack you. Either I'm failing or you're wrong.
1: Yeah. I don't do a lot of my own social media work. Yeah. Um, For obvious reasons, I don't have time. (laughs) But it's mine. It's my work. I'm just not the one who posts it right, or right, 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 right. deals with all that, right? You're not doing the scrolling. Right. And uh, that's a gift. Mm-hmm. The thing I would say that I think is real important about that is that the best expression of all of us that we put on social media or that someone graciously helps us with the technology of all of that, I think we need to be able to create certain communities on those platforms that we're going to participate in and not try to be present to all of it. Mm. Because, and I don't think the community should be homogenous. I do think they could be potentially, socially, and psychologically, and maybe spiritually safe for our way of seeing life. Mm. I just recently began to look at, maybe six months ago, and talk to people about, particularly withdrawing numbers, which are fours, fives, and nines.
0: Four, fives, and nines are withdrawn. Yeah.
1: And I have been talking to them about an awareness or a lack of awareness of how much energy social media costs them. Hmm. And the word that I'm getting back is that they were totally unaware that it was costing them anything. It felt like it wasn't. But in fact, they are losing energy and to social media that they really kind of need for other things.
0: That's really interesting as a for myself. Yeah. And how much time my phone tells me I'm on it. Yeah. How many hours a day? Yeah. Not yeah. minutes, hours. Yeah,
1: that's a lovely new trick, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's neat. So, okay, what I've heard from you, you've categorized threes, sevens, and eights. As aggressive. As aggressive. You've categorized four fives and nines as withdrawn. Right. We have three more numbers. Right. What are those three? One,
1: two, six. Six. And they're dependent. Dependent. So this is a real overview. Yeah, no, we, we're going everyone's small, already small. done their research before okay. this. So let me just say that fours, fives, and nines, orientation to time is the past. Okay. They have a tendency to move away from people mm-hmm. and they are doing repressed, which doesn't mean they don't do anything but it means that they lose a lot of energy doing things that don't need to be done or things that don't need to be done at that time. Like the tyranny of the urgent with that, they get stuck in that place. Everybody, I think, gets stuck in that a little bit. But fours like to do what they're interested in. Yeah. Fives like to plan to do. So they plan more than they do. Mm. And nines are easily distracted by doing whatever's right in front of them. So moms, I'm picturing these moms. Yeah, exactly. So how does
0: that apply to a mom that's in those three numbers who's withdrawn? And there's so many tasks. So
1: many. Outside if she has a job. Yeah.
0: Outside the home. Yeah.
1: And so for fours, fives, and nines, children are unpredictable. Mm. And it makes it difficult to measure what tasks to do when Yeah, in order to not carry the burden of Feeling like you're not getting things done. Constantly overwhelmed. And fours want things to be meaningful. (laughs) I'm going to giggle every time she says four because. (laughs) Yeah. And so they want everything to be meaningful. Yeah. Fives have the least energy of all the numbers on the Enneagram. They wake up in the mornings with the same amount of energy every day, and everything costs them energy. And it's like manna you can't store up. So when they run out, they're out. So they are a little less participatory, which would be easy to be misread by other people.
0: If a mom's watching a five mom, yeah. she could make judgments about her caring or loving.
1: Or being aloof or cold. Those are words that people sometimes give so, to fives.
0: Okay. I want to say the gifts
1: of her. Absolutely. And so fives are the only number on the Enneagram that are capable of neutrality. Hmm. And a lot of really good parenting comes from being able to be neutral, particularly if you have more than one child. In sibling conflicts, Absolutely. In everything. Neutrality is really a gift. And since the rest of us don't have it, we often don't recognize it or don't know to highlight that. Fives are also very thoughtful. And they don't get caught up in gossip or uh, politics or, I mean, like office politics or neighborhood politics. Yeah. They don't get caught up in any of that. And nines, every number has, a, according to Rizzo and Hudson, an unconscious childhood message and a lost childhood message. And for nines, the unconscious childhood message is, it's not okay to assert yourself. And their lost message is, your presence matters. So that
0: message is lost.
1: Yeah, didn't hear it. They don't feel they like their it. presence matters. No. Nope. Nope. So that's a whole thing that they bring into parenting that insists that they pull back a little bit and evaluate everything and find their place and then be fully in that. And nines also have the least energy of every number on the Enneagram. And that's because they're boundaryed internally and externally. So fives have this measured amount of energy, right?
0: They get the same amount. They get the
1: same amount every day. Nines uh, have very little energy because they're boundaries internally and out. And internally, they're trying to keep in anything that would cause conflict. And externally, they're trying to keep out anything that would cost them their peace. So to maintain those boundaries and parent is an extra challenge. Is their home like perceived to be this peaceful place
0: from the Another mom could say, man, it seems like her home is super peaceful the way and that it's she false will,
1: peace. Well, no, it's not false peace. The way she would appear is laid back. Okay. She would appear to be just kind of easygoing and laid back and slow to Nothing really frustration. bothers her. Yeah, That's yeah. right. All that. But inside she's really bothered. Yeah. Well, inside she's struggling with, should I do this or not? Should I say that or not? Is this good? Maybe I should try this. And so what they do a lot is just wait. So Mm. Nines will say, I think I'll just wait and see how this plays out.
0: And so there's not a lot of confrontational parenting in that she sees something wrong and she's going to correct it, overcorrect. Her default is not overcorrection.
1: No. Her challenge would be to not let things go and let things go and let things go and then not be able to let that go anymore, right? Mm. Her challenge would be to to be honest about what isn't good early on with herself and then with other people identify it's that bothers me. Yeah. And it's not okay. And that's not okay with me. Wow. Yeah. And so some nine parents kind of back up and let the other parent do until it's big. So our children, my husband's a nine and our (laughs) children knew both ends of this. Our children knew if they wanted to do a little thing that I would probably say yes. And if they wanted to do a big thing, I would say no. And it's flipped with Joe. He would say no to all the little stuff, but big things, he got the value of that and he would be on board and supportive of that. So they knew which one to go to, to get what they wanted. It worked really well for them and for us because we were each gifted at hearing their needs and responding to them appropriately because we, neither one spanned the whole spectrum.
0: I could see how we could talk for three days. Yeah. Especially, I mean, when, are you going to write a book on parenting in Enneagram, please? Uh, because I see so much content. I could, you can't probably say, but. I, well, I could say,
1: like, I'm, I, um, I think there's going to be one that comes out of our work here. Yeah. I'm, I'm not on board with assigning numbers to children. Right. Let's talk about that
0: before we get into more moms. Because I was even thinking as you're talking, I have kids 13 to 6. And my 13-year-old, I'm starting to think could be a 9 based on his behavior. And I'm realizing how do I train him, but then I don't want to label him. I'm not going to tell him you're a 9. So how do, we, how do we balance
1: not Enneagram and kids? I'm supportive of you thinking that you're beginning to identify a 13-year-old. You know, your Enneagram number is determined by motivation and not by behavior. Hmm. And we love our children and know them well, but I'm not sure we always know what motivates. Right. And children who are learning the Enneagram in relation to one another are in a family system. Based on Enneagram number, primarily, some children will be whatever number you want them to be. So if you start putting that on them, they take that. Or if their siblings do, or if their friends do, I caution a lot about Enneagram speak. Yeah, in parenting scenarios. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, because children some will own what you hand them.
0: So if you've done some reading, some research, and you're starting to see some things, and it it helps you in how you respond and react and train. But not to say, oh, you're such a three, always doing, not
1: feeling, that's unhelpful. It's not helpful, and it's probably not accurate. So it's (laughs) really not helpful. (laughs) I've only taught children in one circumstance. Because I'm adopted, I am aware of certain issues that happen between adopted children and their parents. So I've done some work in a post-adoption organization. And we used animals for the children.
0: Oh, that's very cool.
1: And that I was comfortable with because it doesn't feel as defining as a number. And it you can hold it much more loosely. And actually, my daughter, Joey, who is the mother of two uh, and my oldest, she helped me with the animals by studying the animals and assigning them a number rather than to trying to find an animal that fit the nine numbers. So, parents with young children, I'm going to run through the numbers real quick cuz we might not get back to this. Yeah. Then just go read about those animals. Yeah. Ones are uh, worker bees, twos are kangaroos, threes are eagles, fours are butterflies, fives are owls, sixes are bunny rabbits, sevens are monkeys, eights are lions. And nines are turtles. Fabulous. And that works well for children of a certain age in post-adoption, where I had a lot of oversight and I knew what all the parents were being taught. So I'm not throwing that out loosely. Right, right, right. With 13 and up, I think the best hope we have is to figure out what stance they're in. So that's why I've been talking with you about aggressive stance, dependent stance, and withdrawing stance. And Enneagram work begins with triad work, which has to do with the reality that in the 1940s, when the Enneagram was kind of being revived, a um, man in England, whose name is Maurice Nicole, published a theory that made sense to everybody. It was one of those things everybody knew, but nobody had really said lately. And it was that there are only really three centers of intelligence and they're thinking and feeling and doing. And we all respond to life first as we receive stimulus with either what do i think or what do i feel or what am i going to do and those three determine triads so two three and four respond first with what do i feel five six seven with what do i think and eight nine one with what am i going to do and then the other two centers support which one's dominant for you i prefer to teach an all-day know-your-number workshop yeah. teaching to triads. But after triads, the place where you can begin to do some work has to do with stances. And I am convinced that in trying to identify where children fit in the Enneagram, it's safer to try to figure out where they fit by knowing if they fit in one of the three stances, aggressive, dependent, or withdrawing. And then beyond that, that's enough for parenting. You don't need to know what number they are. Yeah, And they can figure that out for themselves at an appropriate time. So my cutoff used to be 18, and I'll now teach 16 and up because it matters that it be correct. So I'm opposed to all tests, all indicators, don't like any of them.
0: Oh, yeah, everyone's like, whenever you bring up Enneagram, which test can I take? No, no, no. I'm like, and every time I'm like, no, 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 no. No test. No, the gals listening have already listened to your Know Your number. They're right. going to get it from Joel and right. they're going to listen. Right. So right. I think that is such valuable insight so that as moms, for myself, I can be held accountable even from my friends. Sure. Remember. <laughs> yeah. We're not labeling our kids because right. it's always been a label for my mom's generation. It was the phlegmatic, yep. melancholy. Yep. I was called melancholy all growing up. I didn't feel melancholy. But then now that I'm finding the four, I'm like, oh, I was a four. But I yeah. didn't feel melancholy all the time because I have a three wing.
1: So. Well, plus you were comfortable. Other people were uncomfortable with your melancholy, but you're not. Oh, that's so insightful. Right. Right. So another reason that we have to be very careful about assigning numbers to children is because we see everything from our perspective.
0: And what we're comfortable with if they're a feeler. So right. I was labeled sensitive a lot as well too. Right. And I right. and I talk to moms who are maybe a one, a, a more aggressive stance yeah. in this eight category that it bothers them. It's hard for them to have a child so feelings driven. Right. And this is helpful.
1: But, you know, a better way to talk about that is to say a child who's so different from me, mm. right? Mm. So My uh, child is so different from me. Yeah. 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 I actually was on a podcast where they thought they were going to get me to help them identify numbers of children. Oh no. And early on I said, you know, I just don't do that. And they asked me a few questions and I answered them. And the host of that podcast just stopped and said, we're going to keep right on going. And I want everybody to listen because this is all new information for us. And they hadn't been told not to label their children with numbers because they were a group of people who hadn't done any deep Enneagram work. And You know, right now the Enneagram is really trendy, but I've been teaching for 25 years. Right. And I don't teach a half day workshop. I'm just not going to take any shortcuts because this is probably 4,000 years old, for sure 3,000 spiritual wisdom tool. Mm -hmm. And you don't truncate that. No. It's just not a good thing to do. And I, I don't think shortcuts end up being shortcuts. And I get that we already have more than we can do culturally. And as moms, we for sure have more than we can do. But this is one hour a day for eight days. It's an eight-hour investment to know that you know, and it's worth it. Yeah, It's just worth it. Yeah. There's
0: value to, I mean, the little teeny bit, like in the 25 years compared to the little bit of study I've done, has transformed my heart towards people. The grace, which should should I don't like the word, but there should be grace already. But yeah. the way we're wired, I need to understand a little bit more to provide that grace. So, for moms to get back to that, those three that you described, uh, the five and the nine, with their energy low, yeah, for us to give them the grace that if they're not saying yes to every invite, it doesn't mean they're cold. Or these words can be so harmful. Words like sensitive and
1: cold and lazy. And I think children live into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think think if we put those labels on children, then they live into those labels. Mm. Dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Boy, you got a boat full, didn't you? Well,
0: (laughs) I'm just thinking of all the words I've heard, even moms that email me. Yeah. My child is so dramatic. My child is a force, you know, leading a leader. Leading a, an eight or yeah, being an eight as a mom. So yeah, right aggressive here,
1: stance, or go ahead. Right here in this room, working in that nonprofit for post-adoption services, I had a parent who was parenting an adopted eight mm. and she was a two. And she showed up here every month for two years and raised her hand and said, I just want to help my daughter. And I said for two years, she doesn't want your help. That isn't going to work for you. She is a very strong, independent nine-year-old. She doesn't want you to help her. And that doesn't have to be part... And it's not a rejection. No, it's not personal. And it doesn't have to be part of your mothering qualification. To help her is to let her experience life from her aggressive standpoint and then be there when that doesn't work for her and she needs your wisdom.
0: hmm but like you said, your qualifications, each of us with the way we see the world decides what's good, what's helpful. And so in her mind to care for right. her daughter right. was the priority. Absolutely. And when she couldn't, and when that wasn't received, it's an injury to her to and both a disruption and the relationship. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's not about anything except this common belief that we're all pretty much the same and we're not. Mm. We don't see the same, we don't respond the same to life, and it's sometimes nuanced and it's sometimes obvious, but there are nine ways of being in the world, and none of my children are my Enneagram number. Or the same?
0: Do you Uh, have any of the same? No. Yeah.
1: No. So it's just about not knowing. There's no guilt in that, or there shouldn't be. I'm going to jump
0: in here and give a shout out to one of our sponsors who makes this show possible, and. I love that they help you out too, no matter what your type is or your stance or what your energy level, we all need to eat food. And perhaps in 2019, you had a goal to eat healthier and to eat together as a family. Well, I am thankful that Prep Dish makes us a little bit easier to reach those goals with their meal planning subscription service. Basically, every week you get a PDF that has a meal plan and you can pick and choose what fits your family. There are four different meals. There is a breakfast option, a dessert, a snack, and you can pick and choose. There's a grocery list that helps you buy those things quickly. You could spend one day in your weekend prepping all the food. So then the night of you are simply cooking the food or reheating food simplifies the process. You don't have to waste your brain space or your energy on figuring out what you're going to eat that night. If you want to go check them out, go to prepdish.com forward slash DMA and you're going to get two weeks for free to try it out. See if it fits your family. I mean, this week I'm going to make marinated flank steak with roasted pineapple, zucchini, peppers, and onions. I think that's going to be a hit. If you want to go check them out, go to prepdish.com forward slash DMA to get two weeks for free. All right, let's get back to my time with Suzanne. Here we go. And we've gone back and forth between how this impacts our relationships within our family. Yep. You know, how we see our kids, how they perceive us, and then how we perceive each other as moms. Let's go into the aggressive stance. Okay. Mom, because I think there's a lot that we could talk through.
1: Okay. Three sevens and eights are in the aggressive stance. And that means that they're feeling repressed. Threes take in information with feelings, oh. but they don't use feelings to process the information they've taken in.
0: So it's an emotional experience as information is coming to them. Yes, and they, then they, they set feelings to...
1: aside. Okay, and they respond with thinking and doing. Hmm. And sevens have a half range of emotion most of the time, and it's the happy half. And so they see themselves. Each of them, threes, see themselves as very feeling. Sevens see themselves as having lots and lots of feelings, and they do. They're just in the happy range. And sevens have to learn to deal with the darker side of things or the unhappy side of things, and they don't know that. They don't intuitively know that. Eights substitute passion for feelings. They have a lot of passion for everything they do. But passion is not based on emotions. It's based on interest and energy and what they give themselves to. So if you have a feeling dominant child, then you have to bring up some of your own feelings to meet them where they are. Mm. So if they're very upset, they have to recognize, I've been upset about that before. And Our oldest that. daughter's an eight. Mm. Her oldest child is a four. Okay and he's 12. And he and his parents, Joey and Billy, all three say that one of the best moments in parenting him was the day they looked at him and said, we're just not going to try to make you happy anymore. Mm. Because he wasn't unhappy. He's a four. And they kept trying to make him happy. And he, it didn't work. So they've done some remarkable work with parenting him where he is based on how he sees, even though it's different from the way they see. Huge. Once twos and sixes uh, are in the dependent stance, and I would say that one is often seen as an aggressive number. I think they're, after three, seven, and eight, the most aggressive, but they just don't fit the criteria. Aggressive numbers orientation is to the future, so they're not present in the moment and they're certainly not thinking about the past, which is how they get caught with the other numbers trying to say, look, we're headed to do this. Why are you sad? We're going to do this today. Why are you talking about yesterday? And it's because they are future oriented and that's what they're thinking about all the time. Once and sixes, orientation of time is the present and they're dependent on other people. So they get their sense of themselves from how other people respond to them. Threes, sevens and eights don't. So ones, twos, and sixes are thinking repressed, which doesn't mean they don't think. It means they don't productively think. Ones have a constant inner critic that tells them that they're not good all the time. So moms who are ones certainly don't need any criticism from other moms. Yeah. They've got it all going on in their head constantly. And because of that, sometimes they're more critical of other people than the rest of us would be but they're just trying to level the playing field so they have a place to stand Mm. because they're being constantly criticized Mm. and they think that there's one right way to do things for them and their children and you and your children and they have to learn that that's not true twos tend to so let me just back up so ones in dealing with that critic all the time that's a constant dialogue in their head and they count that as thinking But that's non-productive thinking. Hmm. Twos think a lot. And my estimation is that 85% of their thinking is about relationships. And there are a lot of other things you need to think about besides relationships. So I spent early years of parenting before I knew the Enneagram. Anytime I corrected my children, circling back to them to see if we were good, see if we were okay, Hmm. see how we were. Because... That relationship meant everything to me, and I had to learn about the Enneagram to know that my role was to not always be able to be in sync with them, that Mm. I had to stand apart from their feelings. But the problem for twos is they don't feel their own feelings. They feel everybody else's feelings. So in parenting my children, I had to think about what I might be feeling because everything I felt was what they were feeling. Mm. And if you have more than one child. Yeah, it's a lot. That's a whole lot to do.
0: It's exhausting
1: just
0: being in your home and doing nothing but being with your children. Feeling, 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 feeling. Hmm. And a six.
1: Um, Sixes are in the fear triad with fives and sevens. And their thing that they struggle the most with is anxiety. And they kind of scan the horizon for danger. So they are. If they have a toddler or. Often young children. labeled as overprotective parents. Okay. And that's because it's how they see. And they manage their fear with worst case scenario planning. So they spend a lot of time thinking about what could go wrong or what could happen that would be bad. And then they have a plan for that. And then they try to protect from that. And it's a full time job. And it's. Not productive thinking because so much of what they worry about and plan for doesn't happen. Isn't going to happen, doesn't <laughs> happen. But they wouldn't be comfortable without being prepared for it. And so they over prepare. It is in my tradition, and you know, there are different Enneagram traditions, probably three or four. But in the wisdom tree that I'm from, we believe that there are more sixes than any other number. Oh, really? And so there's a lot of uh, advertising and sound bites that are aimed at anxiety, and that we feel anxiety.
0: Is that a, a time
1: period and in, in an
0: international thing, or it's America? Global. Okay,
1: it's global. Okay. It's of course done different way in different cultures, mm-hmm. and it's really bad here in the Western world because we have so much media and. I mean, I know that the numbers of children with anxiety has gone up significantly. I've heard that from counselors,
0: and I didn't know if.
1: And there's a really good chance that a high percentage of those children are sixes on the Enneagram. Hmm. And what they need is to have their questions answered. The sixes ask questions until you think you can't possibly answer another one. Like there's security to be found in having those Answers. And they don't like surprises. Don't like surprises. (laughs) No. So ones, twos, and sixes are getting the read from everybody else as to how they're doing and they don't, uh, they aren't objective about their own behavior and they are not productive thinkers. As a mom who's a
0: one, two, or six, how does she care for herself? You know, it sounds to me like if I have a friend who's a one and I want to support her and she's in her head a lot, I mean, is that something only she can do? Or as a mom friend, can I help The one, the two, and the six?
1: One of the things that helps, I think, the most with ones, with life period and certainly with parenting, is finding time, number one, to answer their questions. But number two, ones need to unpack things. Ones need time to talk, just talk. Mm -hmm. And they don't need fixing. It doesn't help them for you to say, Oh, don't think that way. Oh, that's not true. That's not helpful. They need you to hold the space. They for do. Them to process for that. them to just talk. Then they need clarifying questions that are honoring of them. Hmm. If you say, oh man, I wouldn't have done that. They had a voice telling them all day they shouldn't have done that. Hmm. That'll tell them again tomorrow they shouldn't have done what they did yesterday. So that's not helpful. I think the best offering we have for ones in friendship, for ones as children, for ones anywhere, is how can I help you have this be what you need it to be? Hmm. So if you're co-parenting with a one, you would want to say, how can I help you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish without the extra that seems to make you uncomfortable? And one of the things we have to watch out for with ones and sixes is Being helpful, but it coming across as patronizing. So ones are perfectionists on the Enneagram, and they wake up every morning with, I can't make any mistakes. Well, there is no human being who's done a day of parenting without making mistakes, living or anything. But, you know, we try so hard in parenting to not make mistakes. And we all make them. And when you learn the Enneagram, you're still going to make them. And if you become an Enneagram master teacher, you're still going to make them (laughs) because that's the way life is. Yeah. But I, I think to believe you can't make mistakes and then to be mindful of everything you do that's a mistake requires a certain kind of undergirding that we don't know to give to ones. And so we tend to tell them that things are good enough. And that isn't helpful because it's patronizing.
0: I've heard... Why do you care so much? yeah can't you just care less?
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> I wish, yeah, but and no. that's good enough. you don't need to do. That's just not helpful. Sixes don't trust themselves, so they ask friends for advice, they go to experts for advice, and they tend to lean toward people who are particularly sure of themselves. mm. For the confidence that they're looking for. Right. And so we have to all be really careful about over advising people who come to us. And sixes need to be encouraged to trust themselves and their own experience of life because they're really good at all the things they're doing. They just don't know it and they don't trust their own decision making. So they, they need to be encouraged with that. But they don't do well with a pat on the hand and us saying, you don't need to worry about that. Oh, right. They are worried about that. So to say, don't worry about that is disrespectful and patronizing.
0: Mm. Mm. It's so helpful.
1: And ones, twos, and sixes uh, are more verbal than other numbers. Twos can only process verbally. Hmm.
0: Externally processing yes, everything. Yes,
1: verbally. They can't think things through unless they verbally process it with somebody else.
0: So for mom friends of a two to be that external processor. Yeah, just listen. Do If you say, you really need to take care of yourself, you're always caring about other people,
1: helpful or unhelpful? Not helpful. Yeah. How are you going to take care of yourself? I'm concerned that you're giving so much. Mm. Is there something I could do to maybe help with that? Maybe like if you wanted to let me take all of our kids to the park every other Tuesday. So you have a little time, but I'm only willing to do that for you. If you're going to take the time to take care of yourself. Yeah. I'm not going to give you that to do laundry or to go take care of somebody else. But if you'll do something that is taking care of you, I'd like to be part of a solution for that. Mm. And let me just say the most difficult question for twos to answer is, what are you feeling? And right after that is, what do you need? Yeah. Because we never know. I know what other people are feeling. I trust my husband unendingly. And he, when I'm not doing well, puts his hands on my face and says, well, just tell me what you're feeling or tell me what you need. And the answer is, I, I don't know. Yeah. As children, we too somewhere picked up that it's not okay to have our own needs. So we bought into that. And we, of course, have them, but we don't know what they are. And so we make our way in the world by meeting yours.
0: There's this element, I know we have to wrap up soon, but there's this element to the Enneagram where we're going back and looking at our childhood. Yeah. And I'm sure it causes a little bit of stress, maybe even for some numbers more than others, to consider that what they're doing now in parenting is going to impact their kids as adults. We know it is. Sure. But we, oh man. Oh, there's for sure going to be a two because I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. Or there's for sure going to be...
1: How do we relieve that mom of that guilt or that pressure? I'm convinced without any question that Enneagram numbers are genetic predisposition. So our babies arrive on the planet being the number that they're going to be. Environment certainly adds to the fabric of all of our lives. But I want to say three or four things. One one thing I want to say is about that, I have never met a parent who I believe in that moment wasn't doing the best they knew how to do, not one. And I meet lots of folks and hear a lot of stories. And children are very resilient. They do well. And holiday time for my family involves looking back, I think because we kind of raised our kids at the dinner table, and that's where we talked about life every night with no distractions. And my children all tease me about the things that I got wrong. I take that well because I got it wrong. And they laugh with each other about how some of them got away with this or that and the other one didn't. And all of that has to do with their Enneagram numbers and mine, which better said is that all has to do with how we see with how they see and with how I see. And you can't bridge that difference minute by minute. You have to accommodate that difference with a wider understanding of I'm loved and I'm safe. If your children feel loved and safe and heard, I think that's about the best we've got to offer on any day. And I I think we give ourselves too much credit for having more influence <laughs> than we have. Yeah in the lives of our children and how they're going to do life and how they're going to turn out. It's just too big a mix. Yeah, I say important, not essential. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. important. Parents matter. and We don't want to devalue the role. Absolutely not. But not essential, God's bigger, and, and we don't want that powerful. I think that that's.
1: Yeah, and I think my children would tell you that I was present to each one of them and that they felt loved and safe and heard. And after that, I'm different from all of them. And it's tricky. Parenting is really, really tricky. I don't think we ever know what the loudest voice in their day is. Hmm. I think often it's not ours. I think the complexity of family is its own thing, right? And I think grace is covering all of us. Hmm. And I think it falls on all of us equally, and I think grace is falling everywhere. There are moments when we just need to stand under that grace and with an open heart and pure intentions, do the best we know how to do for ourselves and for one another.
0: I can't think of a better way to end it than with that.
1: All is grace. And I'm so grateful for you, for your work that you've done. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're talking to moms about not trying to do it all by themselves. I I didn't know that was my ending. Okay, well, keep going then. I'll take all of it. I'll take any seconds you have. I just have three words that I want to talk about. Yes, please. um, In ending. And the first one is honesty. I think we have a big tendency to not be honest about parenting. Hmm. The the hard places. Absolutely. The places that our kids are, we're finding disappointment. Yep. And how we're impatient, and mm. um, the people that scare me are the people who say that they have life all together. Mm. Things are great at my house. I'm so sorry about your struggle.
0: Is there a certain number that's more drawn to that communication?
1: I don't know. Or I, is that I a cultural... I think we all kind of...
0: I know we're here in Dallas. Yeah. And the yeah. looking
1: good all the time is yeah. kind of a cultural thing it's here. Thing. Well, Dallas is Dallas is a three city. Yeah. And we live in a three country. Yeah. And threes are numbers that are capable of reading image and embodying it in ways that are good and helpful and in ways that cause a challenge like everything. So I I think honesty honesty is just essential. And starting with being honest with myself. Mm. Secondly, I think it's difficult to build a safe community, an online community, a podcast community community, Tuesday morning community. <laughs> and I think the thing that makes that difficult is that some numbers are defined by oppositional energy. They know themselves by what they're against instead of by what they're for. Oh, wow. There's power there. And we live in a dualistic culture, which is we live in a world where it's either this or this, and we've not done good work around It could be both and, which would be a non-dualistic culture. So both your way of mothering and my way could be really good. And one isn't necessarily better than the other. We need to be able to hold both. And finally, I don't think you can do life well without appropriate priorities. Hmm. And the the idea that we can have it all started with my generation, and you can't. And priorities are the only thing that help me make my way through the day. So I ask myself 100 times a day, these two questions. What is mine to do? And what is it if I don't do it, nobody else can or will? And those two questions serve me well in parenting adult children, along with they served me well, when my children were small. And I think we all have to have questions that we ask ourselves in order to live appropriate priorities that have to do with where our center is. And Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say for anybody where that center should be, but I will say this. In families that are child-centered, I think a lot gets lost. And I'm not sure that that is best for children, but it seems to be right now a cultural expectation. And I just think your center has to be somewhere else for you to be an appropriate, healthy parent. Well, since this podcast used to be God-centered mom... (laughs)
0: I 100% agree. I tried the child-centered. Then I shifted to self-centered mothering. And the only wholeness came from when I surrendered it to God. Whatever. What's in, yeah. my, what's in my care and the gifts that I've been given and the assignments I've been given. And then also to release the rest yeah. to his bigger plans and purposes. You're a wise lady. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> they can go together, can't they? Sometimes, Sometimes. Sometimes. Well, thank you. Tell everyone where they can find you online. I know they're going to want to keep... Learning and
1: growing. Suzanne Stabile, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, Stabile, S-T-A-B-I-L-E. You can find me anywhere if you use that. Okay. And uh, my podcast is The Enneagram Journey. And boy, I think it's helpful to hear each number talk about how they do life. I'm pretty good at it, but I'm I'm never going to be as good as you are about talking about being a four mm-hmm. um, or as any other number is. So I think your podcast and mine could make lives better for moms. Mm. I know yours already does, and I think mine might be a nice addition. No, I
0: think it's great. I'm definitely going to link to all those things in the show notes, the two books, The Road Back to You, The Path Between Us. There are so many trainings available through the website. I'm going to link to all of it in the show notes. And thank you for your time, thank really, you, Heather. truly. Thanks so much. I promised to come in here and tell you each type and how they reflect God. So here we go. I don't know where Jen got this, so I can't point to that, but I will see if I can add it to the show notes. Here we go. Type one, the goodness and rightness of God. Two, his love and care. Three, hope and radiance. Four, creativity and depth. Type five, wisdom and truth. Type six, faithfulness and courage. Type seven, joy and abundance. Eight, power and protection. Nine, peace and oneness. I love just hearing the whole list of who God is for us. And then to consider that we can each be that different color that brings him to fullness to those around us is so amazing. I also appreciate the different books that are written on how each type connects with God and using it as a spiritual formation tool to understand that there isn't just one way that people connect and relate with God and to give each other allowance for that. Uh, I also wanted to share a little Enneagram etiquette that it's so personal. You may not want to ask someone their number or assign a number to them to realize that because it's going deep on how they see things that they would allow them to figure that out for themselves. There's also so much movement. You have your core way you see, but then you can pull from the numbers on either side and it colors how you see, or if you're in a healthy place, you might pull from another number's positive side, or another. if you're in a stressed place, another number's negative side. And so we're always moving and growing. And that's the beauty of being a follower of Christ, that God is always pulling us to moving and changing and growing and to allow for that in the people in our lives. Uh, We also have heard in studying the Enneagram that you have to go back to your um, early 20s before kids, maybe before marriage, to see how the main way you see the which number fits you best is to consider before those relationships came into your life. I hope you were encouraged. After I left the interview, one, it's super intimidating to chat with someone who's been studying the Enneagram for 25 years. So I felt like the boy in Christmas Story who's sitting on Santa's lap and has no words and just mumbles, a football. Yeah, a football. So I left and I had all these questions all of a sudden, like, Okay, let's say you have a kid who's in the withdrawn stance. How do you help them or an aggressive stance? Like I wanted to take it to the next level and we only had so much time. But the good news is her daughter and husband are, if you're in the Dallas area, putting on these parenting and the Enneagram seminars the first Tuesday night of every month. I'll put a link in the show notes where you can sign up for that. I think it's only $3 just so they can get an accurate head count. Go sign up for that if you're in the Dallas area and wanna learn more about parenting and the Enneagram. Thanks y'all for listening. Uh, thank you for those of you on Instagram who helped me prep for the Paul David Trip marriage episode. I'll be recording. I also have a chat with Sally Clarkson about friendship that'll be up next week. It's great. Love Sally. And some more goodness coming your way. Stick around for the show. I appreciate y'all. Uh, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be super califragilistic, expialidocious. Great. There are so many podcasts now. And if you found value in the show, one way you can give back is to let other moms know about it. Y'all have left some fabulous reviews and I think iTunes likes it and brings the show to the top of the charts list so that other moms can find it and be encouraged to not mom alone. Y'all have a great week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources, To help remind you that you're not alone, head over to DontMomAlone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was gonna leave a helper, a comforter to be with us, God in us. Moms, that is super power. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.